What's up, folks? What's going on? Welcome to episode number 79 of the Spun Today podcast. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz. Thank you very much for listening. This show is brought to you in part by Amazon.com. If you want to help support the show and do your shopping on Amazon like you normally do, just go to spuntoday.com forward slash affiliate links or just click on the affiliate links tab up at the top center of the page and then click on my Amazon banner and do your shopping like you normally do and it'll help support the show and it's much appreciated. In this episode, I speak about season five of Orange is the New Black, the movies Spider-Man Homecoming and Despicable Me 3, the Defiant Ones documentary and UFC 214. If any of that sounds interesting to you, stick around all right so orange is the new black season five came back with a bang the last uh two seasons the two seasons prior seasons three and season four were uh the show started falling off this is just personal opinion my wife for example i watched the show with her and she like season one and two were great we were both into it season three we were both like uh she was like uh this wasn't as good as the the previous ones and i agreed but it was still it was it was all right i in that sense i give like more of a chance to shows when it comes to shit like that like she'll be like oh it sucks and i'm like yeah but it had that you know really good 10 minutes in it you know what i mean (laughs) um so it like keeps me keeps me in it longer. To me, it just matters that you know what you what you want from things. Like if you're looking at it for entertainment and you're not entertained, then that's it. You know what's the point of it? Me personally, entertainment is like one of the things I want to be entertained. Obviously, if I'm watching a show or a movie, but then I'm also looking at at you know if there's anything to gain from it, knowledge wise or you know um, flows in dialogue and writing and like stuff like that. Yeah, like more technical shit that I'm looking into, but that's just because I'm into like writing, you know. So obviously everybody's not going to be into that and be able to like look past a shitty show to try to find like the diamonds in in the rough. So that was season three, and then season four came around, and my wife was like, "Oh yeah, I'm like not going to watch this series anymore. <laughs> like uh, this shit sucks." And I agree that season four wasn't as, as it was, season four was probably like the worst season of all. And, but I wasn't at that point of, yeah, I'm not going to watch this, this thing anymore. Season five, I convinced her to, to watch with me, or I think maybe like I watched like the first two and I was like, yeah, you should see it. It's, it's actually pretty good. Or maybe we just started watching it together after some convincing, but we both did. And it was great. It was a very, very strong season. Um, up there with season like one and two. And it even got her like back into the show. If you guys remember, season four ended with, spoiler alert, by the way. It ended with um, one of the characters dying, Poussin, at the hands of one of the COs. And um, this season picks up where that one left off. So it's dealing with that type of like police brutality, but in the setting of a of a prison, which is, you know, more CO brutality. But, you know, within that same realm and tackling the same kinds of issues and even bringing up, you know, uh, police brutality throughout the series. 
the show, you know, it's uh, um, had some poignant social commentary points throughout the throughout the season. And yes, it was entertaining, but it also dealt with this type of stuff, along with the police brutality issue, um, subpar prison conditions. Which, of course, is not the same for every prison. I'm sure there are prisons that are better, prisons that are worse. And, um, you know, it's a spectrum, like everything else is. But this dealt with certain criticisms that you hear, like lack of educational services or opportunities, real rehabilitation, medical conditions. Like, for example, the show's about, um, it's a woman's prison, if you guys haven't seen it. And speaking about not having, um, what is it, tampons and stuff like that, like basic woman health needs, shitty food, and not just shitty food, but um, like food with no nutrition, which should be the metric to to labeling something shitty food, but most people, myself included, just think shitty food as in, you know, it tastes like shit, um, but if it's good for you, you know, then technically it's it shouldn't be called shitty food but this is just like shitty on both fronts looks like shit tastes like shit but also you know no nutrition and i think i've mentioned i'm trying to think if i mentioned in a a previous podcast or if this is just part of the the novel that i'm working on because i know i touch on on prison uh, related shit but which by the way i'm gonna give you guys a a full update hopefully soon on the novel I'm, I'm like trying to give myself a deadline not trying to i gave myself a deadline of december of this year to have it completed which is kind of aggressive but at the same time i've been working on it for like forever anybody that, that listens to the podcast knows that and um i know it's not something that should be rushed obviously and you know people take fucking years and years and years to to write a, a novel especially the first one there's a lot of hesitation behind it but um I want to be a touch more prolific, quote unquote, than that. So, but I will give you guys a, a full update once I get to like the the second draft stage of it, second and third draft stage of it, which I feel that I'm close to, um, especially now with uh, giving myself this deadline. But um, I can't remember where where I spoke about this, but there's um like companies that have government contracts for certain prisons like the um for-profit prisons and they're like telecommunication companies that you know have contracts for like all the prison phone systems and like stuff like that and people that have vested financial interests in in prisons and one of the more food companies and there's one i think it's aramark i remember if the aramark is the the food or the telecommunication uh, business, but they they were fined for ha- for like supplying food that was so old and and fucked up and rotten already that it had maggots in it, like before being delivered as like a new batch of food. You know what I mean? And it's you know companies that are driven by the bottom line skimp on everything to increase the bottom line, including quality to the point that you have conditions like that. You know what I mean? And, um, by the way, I'm not, I'm not like, a like, um, you know, a tree hugging human rights liberal when it comes to, to certain things like, um, 
if you tell me that, you know, this person's in prison for, you know, biting the heads off of three people and we're feeding them maggots as, you know, their sentencing or something like that, you're not gonna, you're not gonna hear a peep out of me. But this isn't that, this is, you know, that this isn't giving a piece of shit human being what they deserve. This is a company skimping on quality, uh, trying to make a buck. And the byproduct of that is, you know, lack of oversight and maggots in food that gets served to people that should, whose main thing should be rehabilitation. You know what I mean? Not, you know, here, eat some maggots. So whatever. It speaks about subpar prison conditions to get back to the main point of season five of Orange is the New Black. And um, what else? What else? Healthcare and stuff. Uh, mental health. Definitely deals with mental health. Crazy Eyes, as she's called uh, on the show, is like a, a big uh, fan favorite character. And she's great, by the way. And they even deal with kind of like the naivete of just giving her, giving people mental health like pills and, you know, different pills like, oh, this is for crazy people take this. And it's like, no, that's not her specific medication. So that won't work on her. That'll make her comatose type of thing, which is kind of ironic, too, because the way they treat mental health is with uh, like trial and error in terms of pills. Obviously, you know, um psychologist or psychiatrist whichever one's actually prescribed um they have data to base their their um prescribing on but it's not like a foolproof method it's not like you have a headache take a Tylenol or you have a migraine take a Furoset it's uh, sorry guys, I had to pause this and for a few minutes and completely lost my train of thought, but I left off somewhere along the lines of, uh, uh, the medication and stuff for mental health, right? So it's not, it's like, I will prescribe you lithium or we'll prescribe you this other thing and then, you know, see how you react to it, then either raise or lower the dosage and if you still aren't feeling right, we have to prescribe a different type of pill until we find the concoction that works for you whatever and that's generally how like mental health is is handled at this point at least from the medication perspective you know not speaking to like actual counseling and like stuff like that which also is a part of it and what else there was a riot throughout uh the majority of the the season i think the whole season probably that was interesting to see you know the the inmates take over the the asylum type of thing and the power dynamic between the guards and the inmates shift and the the writers had a you know a little fun with that they even found a way to to work in like the internet viral video culture into it you know while the inmates took over the asylum um maritza and i forget the other girl's name they start doing like makeup videos and and shit like that putting them on youtube and they get like this huge fan base so it was cool. It was a, a dope a dope season. Uh, definitely hooked people that were teetering back in to the show. And we'll have them open to, to watch in season six. So good job on season five of Orange is the New Black. Spider-Man Homecoming. 
was a dope movie. I enjoyed it. I don't, you know, people, you know, it was like sold as the best Spider-Man of all time. And I can't say that it is. Uh, and I'm not saying that it's not. It was a really good movie. I enjoyed it. And it's definitely, there's a pros and cons. There's a bunch of pros and cons. I'm partial though towards Tobey Maguire. I don't know if it's because he was like the first one or or what, but I always liked him as, as Spider-Man. I thought he was like a perfect like Peter Parker or Spider-Man. And I know he was like polarizing in that role because people were like, what? He fucking sucked. And some people love him. I'm on the Team Toby side of that debate, I guess. And I heard that he's a dick. That he's like a, one of those like yell at a waiter like type of elite asshole types. Um, which is complete rumor and speculation and that I think I heard once upon a time, so and I have no way of knowing. So <laughs> take that with a grain of salt. But that's something that's always like stood out, which still suck if that's the case, but and whatever as far as being a spider-man um i thought he was great at that the the other one which i forget the actor's name but he was the one that uh was in hacksaw ridge and was eduardo saverin saverin um in the social network movie he that spider-man i didn't like at all like i didn't like the spider-man or the or the Peter Parker that he played. Whereas uh, the Tobey Maguire one, perfect Peter Parker and um, a good Spider-Man. So this new one was great. This new one was definitely better than that, that Eduardo Saverin Spider-Man. I really like that he was, because the story of Spider-Man is like a high school kid, right? That gets, that gets um, uh, bitten by a radioactive spider and become, you know, gets all these powers and shit and he's starting to figure things out toby mcguire played like an older version of that i think i guess his was like in college he was on a college trip and but you know what was was spider-man a high school kid because he had a a, a job as a photographer right didn't he and that's how he you know he would always like sell stories of spider-man because he would like set up cameras take pictures of himself sell it and that's how he like, got by and made money and he was like the exclusive photographer for spider-man spider-man knew him and whatever they were boys um i don't know so maybe it was his senior year of high school i don't know anyway Tom mcguire it always seemed like an older version of spider-man this one if that's the case that it was in high school then it made sense that he was well actually yeah even Tobey mcguire was in a high school High school setting. It just seemed older. Anyway. The. I guess it started in high school. Then they just got older. Whatever. Alright. Point being. That this one was a real high school kid. Not like a. Like a Dawson's Creek. Shout out to Dawson's Creek. One of my favorite shows growing up. But. <laughs> not like a Dawson. Not like a. 16 going on 35. Type of teenager. It was just a regular teenage kid. And acted like a regular teenage kid that would just get powers. And, like, his best friend would be in his room and, like, catch him crawling on the wall. And be like, holy shit, you're Spider-Man. And he's like, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> um, He was really like a, a regular kid, you know? How I would expect I would act if I got bit by a radioactive spider and became Spider-Man when I was fucking 16, 17 years old. 
you know, you wouldn't have it all together and all figured out and be ready to, like, save the world from shit just because you were bestowed with powers. You'd be like, holy shit, what the fuck do I do? And then try to do cool shit. Um, what else? So I like that aspect of it. It felt, like, more more grounded. Him as an actor, he, he did a great job. Um... He also, he just turned 21 in real life, so he was closer to that, you know, and he looks like he's he's a teenager. He has, like, one of those, like, baby faces or whatever. So that worked, casting-wise. His best friend was hilarious. He was, you know, he just, like, wanted to be the, the, um, like, the, what, what did he call it? Uh, he wants to be the, the guy in the chair, the guy in the chair, the guy that you call, and he gives you directions and tells you where to go and stuff like that. <laughs> And, you know, he was like a kid, too, you know, the unpopular kids that got something super cool to and he wanted to use it to be popular and go to a party and, you know, get the girl and blah, 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 like all that type of thing. Like regular teenage shit. I did not like that Aunt May was so young. She. And by the way, I love the fact that Marissa Tomei was in it, though, you know, so it's kind of like a. A catch twenty two because Marissa Tomei is amazing, but she was Aunt May. Aunt May is not supposed to be like like a hot single woman. <laughs> she Aunt May is supposed to be like an old gray haired lady. You know that's what I guess I'm used to from from the first few Batman, uh, Batman's, uh, Spider Man's, and I think from the the um the comic books too. But yeah, so I didn't like like that didn't go, you know, to me. And I know there's probably some like comic book nerds out there that'll be like, no, you don't know. In Spider Man thirty seven, there was a parallel universe rip in the reality, and Aunt May was actually his same age because he wound up being old. Like, all right, I'm not that deep into it, but I just mean like the general storyline. I like that they went away a little bit. Uh, they took some liberties, I guess. With the the whole Mary Jane uh, storyline, and they made they kind of split her up into two girls. There was the one girl that I thought was going to be like the Mary Jane role that Peter was always trying to impress and be be and that she like loved Spider Man and stuff like that the way Mary Jane does. Um, and that was that girl, but then her name wasn't Mary Jane. And then this, at the end, they revealed that this other girl, this little, like, gothic, nerdy girl, was, that always had a crush on Peter, just a regular nerdy Peter, that her name was uh, Mary Jane, or MJ somehow, or something like that. And they revealed that at the end, so they kind of split that role into two different girls, which is kind of cool. That was interesting, I like that. Look at me being a hypocrite. I don't like the the young version of Aunt May, but I like the two girls instead of one, Mary Jane. <laughs> and they didn't um they didn't play that up until the very end, like when that got revealed. So that uh, left it open to see where that can go uh, for the next movie. Um, in terms of uh uh, like I said, Peter Parker, he was great. Spider Man, he was awesome. Um, probably a better Spider Man than the the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Not probably. I would say, yeah, it definitely was. Because it was also 
he was like enhanced by by the uh uh tony stark um and the avengers and shit like that so high level technology like built into his suits and like stuff like that which made makes sense you know it's easier to wrap your head around that you know than a teenage kid that you know shoots spider webs and you know he's kind of strong and stuff but also enhanced with all this extra like next level shit kind of helps a a viewer wrap his head around you know what's happening and suspend disbelief that much more the best part of it one of the best parts of it probably the best part of it to me was the fact that it was like queens out like the whole shit it was like it repped queens really hard and um my in in ways that I, I didn't even notice like for example my brother told me about the a song by the ramones and that was in it that i'll probably play in the outro of this episode so you guys can can check it out if you stick around for that stuff i always play music in the background of the outro um so you guys can check that out but the ramones are a group from queens from far souls which i did not know um so that was dope so they even went queens on that level like on background shit um i noticed the my other boy um uh told me about uh the delmar uh deli like it was it was still queens but they instead of i think spider-man's like from woodside or some shit like that deli actually is like in astoria or like somewhere else um but whatever to make it work obviously for the uh, storyline they use different parts of queens to to help bring it in but at least they used queens you know what i mean it wasn't like they shot in florida and then said you know yeah this is queens you know what i mean like it was like legit queen shit my favorite thing was um franklin k lane high school which is on the very borderline it's on the queen side but on the borderline literally like a block away from the division between queens and brooklyn um but it's a, a high school here actually probably like 10 minutes away from where i live and there's a shot from the train station when he gets off in the train station that's actually the train station that's like 75th or 77th street on the j train line um but obviously they made it like a woodside or wherever the hell he lives in the story um train station name so they changed the name of the station and the school that he's going to like they show it from the top is a uh, franklin k lane high school which is a legit school that's here which is by the way like one of the baddest fucking schools around or was when i was in high school <laughs> it was like the school that i think i was zoned for that school but anybody that was zoned for that school and had any any like connections or anything like that would use somebody else's or relatives like address to like go to a different high school because that school was like so bad um in the rumors which i i'm pretty sure are just rumors because I, I tried looking this up and i didn't find any any anything supporting it but the rumors back then was that franklin caitlin used to be like a like an insane asylum or a prison or something like that and then they turned it into a high school and that's why it's so bad and like corrupted and fucked up <laughs> and um i don't know anyway now it's uh, actually supposedly like a pretty good school and it's actually split up into five different schools in one like one of them is for uh like medical you know 
angled towards like medical stuff. The other one's angled towards engineering or something like that. People that want to study engineering and supposedly it's a, it's a pretty good school now. But anyway, that was cool. That was cool to see. And I was like, holy shit, Franklin K. Lane. And what else? What else? It was just dope. It, it like repped Queens really hard and, and it was, it was a pretty cool movie. I enjoyed it. Definitely. You guys should check it out. That was Spider-Man Homecoming. Despicable Me 3 was a fun watch as well. I enjoyed uh, Despicable Me 1 and 2. So does my wife. She loves those movies. And uh, we went actually on our one-year anniversary to see Despicable Me 3. One-year wedding anniversary. And um, and it was cool. It, you know, What was super cool in it is that Trey Parker was in it um what the co-creator of south park and he i had heard a podcast uh, i think he was on the nerdist and he spoke about being in it and it was it was interesting because they're not the south park guys normally just do south park stuff they're like in hollywood but out of hollywood at the same time like they they you know tout themselves as like hollywood outsiders and they don't get invited to all the parties and when they did do some like red carpet thing, they were both like high as fuck on acid. And one of them wore like the JLo dress. They're just funny dudes. And they do South Park. They did um the Book of Mormon, the South Park movies, and you know, movies like basketball, like they've done other stuff, but them, you know, like within their own thing. They have their own thing going on. And this uh Trey Parker spoke about being a part of something else. Uh, like somebody else's something and who is it that does despicable me um imagine or pixar is it pixar or imagine i don't know but like a well-established brand or or entity not just brand like an entity does despicable me three so it's not like he can he was going to go in and put like a south park spin to it you know what i mean um, it's like another behemoth in and of itself. So he was like that. It was interesting from that standpoint, just to be part of something else and see somebody else's like process and approach to things and uh, just have fun with it and like play his position kind of, you know, and it was cool. And then, so I, I knew he was going to be in the movie, but I completely forgot about it. I saw the movie. One of the characters in the movie is um, Balthazar Brat which is this child actor guy that was super famous as a child actor. And then once he started going through puberty, getting pimples and, and, and his voice started cracking and stuff like that, they canceled his show. And he was like, kind of like stuck in that time period, stuck in the eighties. And as an adult grew up to be like this bitter, this bitter, you know, mad at the world. Why did, why did my show get canceled? Kind of guy. And talking about that the show should have won an Emmy and he used to watch his own reruns and 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 stuff like that. And um, he was like one of the villains in the movie. And he was, again, stuck in the 80s. So it was all he was like dressed up like Michael Jackson kind of style. And his he, he had like dance moves to get away with shit and moonwalk and you know, chewed hubba bubble bubble gum and that was like one actually one of his weapons and he had a Rubik's Cube and like mad eighty shit, which is cool. And he was one of my like favorite characters in the in the in the movie. And then my 
my um one of my coworkers had saw the movie as well and we were talking about it and then he mentioned that uh, trey parker did the voice of balthazar and i was like holy shaggy please forgot that trey parker was gonna be in the movie and it was just funny that one of my favorite characters in the movie wanted to be uh trey parker trey parker's uh character uh so that was cool so check look out for that when you guys watch it if you haven't already and what else uh the little little girl agnes she's always like the most adorable in that in these movies and um she's like she has her own arc and she she's like obsessed with unicorns and she has like this this um teddy bear unicorn thing that she always loves and then she her arc is somebody actually tells her that unicorns are real and that she's going to and you know she wants to go capture and find this unicorn and have her own her own real life unicorn and she goes through her own thing and that was kind of cool as well especially like how that piece of it ended and um uh yeah that was it that was uh despicable me three definitely worth the watch and looking forward for more the defiant ones documentary is so good it's a it's a i don't need, i can't even really call it a documentary i think it's it's listed as a mini series because it's a, a four-part documentary um each an hour each so it's like a four four hour long undertaking but well worth it i've seen a couple episodes multiple times and and it keeps you engaged throughout it's the story of parallel stories of jimmy Iovine, which is the the founder creator establisher i don't know what you can call him of uh, interscope records which is the parent of imprints like aftermath which is dr dre's label uh, shady records which is eminem's label g-unit records which is an offshoot of, of shady shady aftermath and interscope it's like the parent of all that death row records which is you know the whole suge knight tupac um and that's just on the like the hip-hop side of things he's also jimmy Iovine is also responsible for people like uh, gwen stefani black eyed peas nine inch nails marilyn manson etc etc and it's like parallel stories between him dr dre uh, creating beats uh together which was actually jamie's jamie Iveen's idea not not dre's but dre is obviously the the one that brought that idea to fruition and put it over the top you know in terms of like mechanics and aesthetics and just brand but jimmy's like the guy behind the scenes that makes shit happen and it was so well it, w- it was so well done it was directed by alan hughes and like co-written by, by alan, alan hughes and it was a a dope choice like a narrative choice um and alan hughes by the way he's the like the director of like movies like menace to society and book of eli uh, it was a dope narrative choice too he showed throughout the four four part episodes he showed like the back and forth like the coming of age stories of each one of jimmy Iovine and of dr dre and he went back and forth back and forth back and forth so he would show a certain period in jimmy Iovine's life as as you know and it's a coming of age story so it's like progressing throughout the four the four series and then 
you're like so invested in it you think you're just watching like a thing of jamie having then it'll switch to dr dre and show like the like a similar time period in dr dre's life and see how show the parallels between the two and how their their individual journeys led into them meeting and then building what they built which was not just a uh, multi-billion dollar behemoth in what uh, Beats by Dre is, but how like the paradigm shift of of Apple Music and the transition of the music industry into streaming and et cetera, et cetera. And, and along the way being responsible for or taking part in all of these artists that, that we know that we're familiar with today that are like the ones I just mentioned and also early on in Jimmy Iveen's career having having to do with projects that came from people like John Lennon and Bruce Springsteen. What I like about the what resonates a lot with me with the documentary is that they are both Dre and and Jimmy are like underdogs that overcame like external and internal doubt by just like sheer like grit and hard work, determination. And just like this want, this like fire, this like a need to like figure shit out and do things how they felt they should be done. And then listening to their backstories and and seeing the parallels in them is like amazing because it's like two night and day backgrounds and upbringings, but the same type of drive and the same type of will and the same type of ability to let something go that most people wouldn't let go because you know that what you're aiming for what you're going towards is better and not necessarily better by like a certain measurable metric like financially or some other arbitrary number but they have they have this like mutual type of understanding of creativity being something that that should be left to its own devices kind of you know like creativity trumps all like dre feels most at peace or at home when it when he's behind like whatever that big ass mixer table is called and creating beats creating music Jimmy Iovine says himself that although he did start with like engineering, with um, music production, and stuff like that, his his thing, his shtick, his his gift is producing people and like knowing, you know, what songs go with what people and what people should work together and being able to forge relationships and like he said, quote unquote, produce people, but understand like when to like step away and let it bloom, let it blossom, let it find its way you know with certain people or projects or etc and it's such a it's 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 a dope documentary it's motivating and um i uh recommend it to to anybody that's like into this type of shit and i've always known the name jimmy Iveen because because of eminem because eminem like shouts him out a lot like or or has like in the past and you know even 50 and 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 people like that, but he's more like a behind the scenes kind of guy. Um, so I've always like known the name and I know he was like the president or founder or whatever of Interscope, but I didn't know his story. 
this definitely gets into his story. And it gets more into Dre's story as well. Like Dre, Dr. Dre is like a, um, it's like a private type of person. And we learned more about him with like the movie Straight Outta Compton. Like that's when I first found out that he had a, a, a brother that died. And, and that's, that's a, you know, true of the, of something that happened in his life. And they actually show him on the set of Straight Outta Compton. Um, in this documentary, the the Defiant Ones, um, and that's something that even in the documentary you can, see, you can see he holds like close to the chest, and he has like this weight that he's carrying around, which is which was seen like in the movie kind of, and you can see that that's something that he does carry around with him, which I can't imagine not, but something that Jimmy Iovine said was that he was kind of sort of like on the fence about doing this whole thing. But because Dre was actually down to do it, because he's such a closed off type of like person, he was like, oh yeah, it has to be done. Like I have to do it, even though I'm on the fence, because Dre wanting to do it is like unheard of. And um, so Dre opens up a lot more than I guess people are used to him opening up. And that is the Defiant Ones documentary. Last but not least, UFC 214. It was dope to see John Jones come back. This, by the way, UFC 214 was the best card of the year um, that the UFC has had all year. They've had a few duds. They've had a few um, fights and cards that should have been bigger than what they were, but they wound up being like, quote unquote, boring fights or a lot of like main events that, that got pulled, like the Amanda Nunes um card that she was on and she pulled out due to that like nasal issue that she has and stuff like that um uh cory garbrand and uh tj dillashaw it's another one because uh cody fucked up his back and uh john jones and cormier was supposed to happen i think it was at the end of last year though and or what was it like almost i think it's was it a year or two year layoff that john jones had because of the, the tainted supplements and the USADA suspension. But whatever. It was a long time in coming. And this card actually. Three title fights on the card. You know all of them happened. And it was just a bunch of good fights on the card. And starting off at the top. With Cormier and Jones. And this is this is something that. Like Cormier he's like the quintessential. Like all American kind of you know, Olympic wrestler, uh, you know, clean cut image type of type of dude that everybody's supposed to like, but nobody does. Not nobody. <laughs> uh, a lot of people don't. A lot of people hate on, on Daniel Cormier, including myself. The, I used to hate on him. Like, not hate on him, but it was just like something about him that I didn't like, like a smugness or I don't know what it was. And John Jones is just, you know, arguably the best fighter on the planet ever. Um, but he was like someone that you're supposed to not really like because he was like a fuck up. Like he, he was in a hit and run accident and ran away. He parties and does coke. He he got popped for tainted supplements and it found out that it wasn't. He wasn't taking like steroids or anything like that. It, but he was taking like dick pills, like over the counter fucking 
gas station dick pills that were that are filled with you know a bunch of other shit and they found that one of these pills had a substance in it that is banned by usada which is the drug governing body of the ufc and um he got suspended for that so there's a lot lot of shit and he's young he's the youngest champion ever of the ufc but he's one of the most amazing fighters to watch um super unorthodox and creative and he gives you the show that you visually want to see like the spinning elbows and flying knees and and he does everything spectacularly and there's a lot of bad blood between the two and this was the only like build up to one of their fights because they fought once and and john jones beat daniel handily and it was the first loss of daniel cormier's career then after like all these layoffs and, and stuff like that with with john jones being suspended and and stuff daniel cormier became the champion um defended the title at least like three or four times against like people that they thought that he would lose to but he never did he defended them and he had only had this one loss to john jones and their rematch was supposed to happen then john jones got popped again uh, for for one of those things that i mentioned and that fight didn't happen so then this was the third build-up to to a fight between the two and the second fight that actually happened and this time around daniel cormier kind of like embraced like the heel role and he wasn't trying to be like that goody two-shoes you know look down his nose at at you type of dude he was like embracing people booing him and like stuff like that and that kind of sort of made people like him actually like him including myself like i was actually like rooting for daniel cormier this time around and kind of like writing john jones off as a fuck up and he was coming off as more fake because he was i don't know whatever fucking pr people he had like in his corner telling you could tell his answers were like were like stock answers to try to like build up his image quote unquote or whatever his positive image and that shit didn't work that shit like doesn't work he and daniel cormier came came out in the first round and it was like he just needs a couple more rounds and he's actually going to do it. He's going to beat his fucking arch nemesis, John Jones bones. And Daniel Cormier was doing his thing and he was taunting him and he was like catching him and clipping him. And, and it was going back and forth. It wasn't one sided by any means, but it was like, I gave the edge to Daniel Cormier. Then the, and like his confidence was like building up and, and it was like, yes, yeah, I told you, you know, once you came back, you were done. And it was going to also, you know, if, da- if Daniel Cormier won, it would set up the rubber match, you know, like uh, a third fight between the two, which would be dope. And then John Jones, true to John Jones form, completely did his thing and s- f- fucking spectacularly won in, I think it was the second or third round. Just demolished him. Like, it, it flipped. And, um... It was like fuck, yeah. This guy is <laughs> is the best fucking fighter ever. So, but it was like an exciting like back and forth, you know, to see. Definitely lived up to its hype, and John Jones was like uh, classy at the end. You know, they talk so much shit about each other, and it's been for years. Like, it's not. It wasn't just like to hype the fight. It's been like when they weren't even fighting, they would like hate each other and talk about each other in interviews and like shit like that. And, um. John Jones like gave it up to him at the end and not just as a fighter but he was like I, I wish I could be as good of a man as, as Daniel Cormier and you know he's a great father and husband and I want to be um 
I should hope to be like like more of a man like him one day or whatever, etc. So it was cool that he did that. Then that he said stuff like that. Now the the fight that I wanted to speak about was besides that one is the uh, Woodley and Damian Maya fight, which was uh, much anticipated. And I don't know. I don't. All right. So just to set it up for you guys that maybe didn't see the fight or aren't like into UFC that much. So Woodley is the welterweight champion, current welterweight champion, and has he has like this like stigma of being like a boring fighter, I guess. And Damian Maya is in uh welterweight fighter as well that's like on a seven fight win streak and he is a jujitsu he's like in jujitsu like in the entire ufc any weight division male female he's like the best jujitsu he's like a world-class jujitsu practitioner like in just jujitsu but he fights in the ufc so he's like bar none anybody gets on the ground with him they're getting strangled and and they're losing um but he's that's that's his like main weapon you know so you have to like get people to the ground in order to to do your thing and he's not the best you know striker or, or anything like that like he has that in spades jujitsu and everything else he's like all right um and tyron woodley is a comes from a wrestling background he says he's the best at mma like mixing things up so in terms of like striking he has knockout power that's how he won the belt in the first place knocked out uh robbie lawler which has is known for having like an amazing chin and he so these two were coming up so it was a stylistic uh like clash but stylistically i i thought it would be like a good fight though you know you have a striker and a grappler the fight i enjoyed it i liked it it went to decision and the what was dope to me about the fight is that Damien Maya tried to take Tyron Woodley down a record, I think it was 23 or fucking 27 times or something like that. And he got stuffed each and every time. He wasn't able to take down Tyron at all. Like that set a record. However, they also set a record for least punches thrown in uh, Walter Wade fucking history or something like that. And that's largely due because of the game plans. Damian Maya's game plan is obviously to try to get Tyron to the ground so he could do his thing in jujitsu. And Tyron was obviously blocking all those. So um he had to like counter that strategy. Tyron got a shitload of criticism from it, and he has in the past from from Dana White, the president of the UFC saying that it was a boring fight, that Tyron could have finished the fight in the second round because he, like, clipped him uh, with the punch, but he didn't, like, follow up on it. And he he was pissed. Dana White was pissed, saying that now he's not going to give him the fight with GSP, which is, like, um, George St. Pierre, for those that you don't know, is, like, the best welterweight in UFC history, but he retired a couple years ago, and he's thinking about coming back, blah, blah, blah. Um, But saying that he's not going to give the fight to Tyron because Tyron is is too much of a boring fighter and if you're not willing to take the risk then you don't get the reward and blah 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 it's gonna be that type of shit tyron then on his end you know plays up the as he has in the past um like the race card saying that it's because he's black that he's getting like kind of like blackballed pun unintended and that he he won he won his fight 
you know what the fuck does it matter if it's like quote unquote boring or not which again i didn't i personally didn't see it as boring i kind of see it as kind of like the like mayweather gets flack for being a boring fighter um but he's like the best defensive fighter ever but it's just that the the like general fan wants to see you know brawls and knockouts and and stuff like that and i'm kind of like like i hate when people do use like a like a racism card or a uh, you know feminist do that shit too or or like a sexist card or like whatever and because it's like and it kind of gives like the argument like oh he's doing that like he you know he's pulling his like trump card or whatever and it kind of like takes away from the actual argument i feel and i'm guilty of it too but because i feel like it just makes the whole thing uh, like a loaded argument like the attention goes away from like the facts and the points and and certain things although that it can be that it can be you know maybe he's right maybe it is because he's black that that he's getting shitted on and uh, by the president of the ufc and um or by fans or whatever because he was getting booed like the fight was getting booed like while they were fighting but i feel like when you when you say oh it's because i'm black or whatever it's kind of like ugh, fuck but it takes away from everything else so i don't like that but i understand it because at the same time i'm dominican you know i'm brown as fuck and you get that too you know you you get certain you know it could be you're being treated a certain way because you're dominican or sometimes it's like are you calling me loud because i'm dominican or whatever it's like no i'm calling you loud because you're the fucking loudest person in the room the fact that you're dominican has nothing to do with it so it's like a it could go both ways you know what i mean so with tyron and dana my this is my beef and i side with tyron on this 100 percent. and i'm not saying it's a race thing or anything like that but I think the argument should like stick to the facts. Dana, from Dana White's perspective, he's he's seeing it as, and he literally said, you know, the fans are booing you. That's not a good look. I'm here to promote and sell fights. And if the fans are booing you, that's not helping me promoting and selling fights. That's Dana's argument. And that's his, I guess, that's his argument, whatever. Tyron's argument is, I won my fights. I'm um, a a uh a champion i've defended my belt and i've defended it against different styles if you put somebody that's a grappler against me i'm gonna stop his grappling because my i'm the the best mixed martial artist if you put me in there with a wonder boy who's a striker i'm gonna neutralize his striking like they call that a boring fight too um and tyron has a point because he did neutralize a striker using like striking shit like defensive striking stuff um, he neutralized uh, a grappler and Damian Maya by by stuffing all his takedowns in record number of takedowns. So Tyron's like, why am I going to start throwing fucking punches? Which, by the way, he did throw out. He like tore his rotator cuff or his labrum or some shit like that in his shoulder um, in the first round. So he couldn't throw as many punches as, as he wanted to. And now he has to have surgery, et cetera, et cetera. But that's like a side a sidebar. And Tyron is saying, put me in there with somebody who is also an MMA uh, practitioner, not just specific to striking or specific to to um, to grappling, and I will neutralize them in that style, which is more of, of, of a mixed, you know, throw, you know, 
striking and grappling and wrestling and everything, which is why he wants the GSP fight. And he has a point. You know, you can't say that he won't do that or won't live up to it because he's matched whatever is has been put in front of him. So I think that it would be a great fight. Also, it has the element of which one of the reporters said in the post-fight press conference to Dana, like, since people are booing Tyron, don't you think he would have kind of like the Mayweather effect in that people will want to see the GSP fight that much more because, you know, whether they hate him or love him, um, Tyron, they w- would want to see him lose. Like if they, you know, if they're hating on him like that much. And obviously everybody wants to see GSP come back anyway. So it would sell. And I definitely agree with that. I would want to fight. I would want to watch that fight. Not for those reasons. I would want to watch it for the the reasons that Tyrone's saying that, you know, put him in there with the true mixed martial artist and he'll match that style. And I see, I see, but I don't agree with Dana White's argument of the whole, I'm here to promote fights. People are booing. That's not helping promote the fights. But you're not looking at them in, you know, this is coming from just a, a fan, not someone who clearly knows what he's doing and is worth like $400 million now after selling the company. <laughs> but for what it's worth, from my perspective, since you are supposedly catering to the fans, the you can't see it as a singular fight type of thing because it does come off as like a beef with Tyron. You had 12 fights on the card. You had six KO finishes. I'm sorry, six finishes. Five of them were KOs. And one of them was a submission, which that submission one was the, I missed it. That was the, um, fuck, I forget the guy's name. Something with an O. Oscar, Osara, I don't know. Anyway, that was like fight of the night. So you had six finishes and then six decisions. Tyron happened to be one of the six decisions, but you pick on like that one to say, oh, it got booed or, or, or whatever. But my thing is, is that you're, you want to sell and promote fights. Certain people want to see, obviously, like the layman fan or whatever, want to see like KOs and knockouts and brawls and submissions and shit like that. Other people just want other fans. There are there's another subset of fans, whether it's large or small or whatever. It's another subset of, of fans that you also have to cater to, which are like the true martial art enthusiasts or 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 I don't even want to call them martial art enthusiasts, but just people that appreciate masterful martial art performances and you are a martial arts mixed martial arts organization so you have to appease them as well and this card did exactly that 50 50 you had six finishes and six decisions period so you're already catering to them if you look at it from a more like macro level so the fact that tyrant's fight got booed but it got it got balanced out by the Jones and Cormier fight, which fucking got cheers. The fans got what they wanted in the Jones Cormier fight, and certain another subset of fans got what they wanted in seeing Woodley put on a masterful neutralizing performance and defending his title once again. And you had a dope, a dope back and forth brawl also in uh, Robbie Lawler uh, coming back and fighting Cowboy Cerrone. And that is actually a good matchup, um, Robbie Lawler and and Woodley. Woodley, that's the guy that Woodley knocked out for to get the belt. And um, and Robbie had a, a dope run with the belt since then, uh, before then, uh, rather. 
and Dana did mention that that might be a good fight for Woodley coming down down the line. But we'll see now with all the like bullshit back and forth and egos going around and stuff like that. Now we'll see what what happens. But that's just my point. You want to sell fights. You want to cater to fans. You had you had a fifty fifty split in terms of of the ways that the fights can go. Some fans got what they want from one half. Other fans got what they want from the other half. And if you want to like macro it even more, you know, look at it from that. That's not just like a singular fight, right? You you macro it and look at the entire card and see that split. Macro it even more and look at you know the cards that you've had for for the full year and compare it that way. And you know, different strokes for different folks. But uh, I definitely don't agree with that. The Tyrone commentary. And then again, lastly, on the flip side, Tyron, if they, um, somebody says, you know, they don't like you, it's not necessarily because you're black, although it could be that, but it's not always that. And, um, that's it. That's all I got, folks. That is the episode. And if my calculations are correct, you should be hearing the Ramon song that I mentioned earlier right about now. While I tell you guys on different ways that you can help support the Spot Today podcast. First off, would you like to receive a short email from me once a week on Mondays at noon? I'm recording this on a Monday right now, actually, on August 7th. And this uh, Monday at noon, today at noon, in a couple hours, the people that have already signed up to this will be receiving a midday Monday boost letter. What that is, is my weekly newsletter where I share with you guys five different things. And those five things are a podcast pick of the week, a photo of the week, a word of the week, a video of the week, and a quote of the week. And if you want to check out what those look like, go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe, which is, by the way, where you can drop in your email address and you will receive the very next one. But at the bottom of the page, you can click on on there and see the previous midday monday boost letters the history of the midday monday boost letters and see if it's something that you would be into and it'll go straight to your mailbox your email box and um you can unsubscribe at any time if you choose to but you probably won't because it's a dope newsletter i would sign up for it myself and um if it was offered to me and that's why i created it to begin with because I wanted to share some of the things that I'm into. So check it out. Midday Monday Boost Letter. You can go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe. If you want to be part of the Spun Today podcast and you're a creative of any any type, whether you're a writer, some sort of artist, check out the questionnaire that I have on my website at spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire. It's five open-ended questions. And what I do is... You guys submit them. I read them out on future episodes. I read your responses on future episodes of the podcast. And if you're if you're like me, you like you like hearing how the sausage is made for other people. You you like to hear from other writers on you know what motivates them when they have writer's block or what other things are they into besides writing. Like we have this writing thing in common, but what else do you like? Do you like watching Netflix? Do you like certain movies? What types of movies do you like? Do you like fucking photography or pottery or or you know what i mean like some people like that i like that i like that like behind the scenes look type of thing and uh the spun today questionnaire gives you exactly that 
and gives other listeners the opportunity to to appear peel the uh, curtain back a little bit and and look behind the scenes and it's a good way for you guys to for free promote um, something that you have going on uh, whether it's like your blog or you have a book coming out or or whatever it is so check out sponsor.com forward slash questionnaire and uh, fill it out and I will read your responses on the very next one and by the way if you don't want to promote anything you don't have to um, if you want to remain completely anonymous you can you know just read your responses and I won't say where it came from etc so check it out what else what else what else oh by the way the that photo website that I that I was using created c-r-a-t-e-d.com um, is they're like canceling created or closing down created because they, they had like two similar companies running at the same time the other one became more successful and they're gonna the company chose to like put its focus on that so for printing any of my photography you can no longer go to created.com forward slash spot today that's being deactivated but um, none of you guys are doing that anyway because there's I guess uh, better or more convenient options out there uh, for you and um, but my photography which is located at sponsor.com forward slash photography is still available for free you can download them uh, digitally for free whenever you guys want and um, uh, you can get them printed through whatever service it is that you use if you're into getting uh, photography printed whether it's like for framed you know framed big poster pictures or whatever or canvases or or smaller pictures you know. You guys can use the internets and figure shit out. Uh, what else? What else? Like I told you guys in the beginning of this episode, this episode is brought to you in part by Amazon. So a good way to help support the podcast financially is if you shop on Amazon already, is just to do so by going to my website first at sponsor.com, clicking on the affiliate links tab up at the top, and that'll take you to my affiliate links page. There you will find a bunch of different affiliate links, including Amazon.com. It's a banner for Amazon, and all the affiliate links on the site work the same way. But if you click on the banner, it's just going to forward you to Amazon's website, where you do your shopping like you normally do. And for driving traffic to their website by, you know, coming to my website first, then then you shoot over to Amazon. You do your shopping like you normally do, and Amazon gives me a kickback just for driving traffic to their website. And it doesn't increase the purchase price of anything that you purchase at all. And uh, it's a good way to help support the podcast financially. So check that out. Another way to help support the podcast, if you choose to, is to make donations. You can make donations on a per-episode basis by becoming a, pra- a patron of the Today podcast. And you can do so by going to my Patreon page, which is P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com forward slash spun today. And all the details are there. And pretty much the way it works is you sign up to make a donation of a dollar per episode or something like that. And it's no bullshit, no fees. It's not like you donate a dollar, but it's really, you know, a dollar seventeen because of taxes or or fees or anything like that. It's like if you donate a dollar, it's like giving somebody a dollar on the train or something like that. It's just a dollar, no bullshit. It's set up on a reoccurring basis, and it would be greatly appreciated. I have specific goals for Patreon supporter uh, donations. 
that come through, which would be to, you know, help uh, supplement the cost of, of producing the podcast, obviously, but mainly to edit my books. So right now I'm taking the approach of self-editing, which is partly why my first novel that I mentioned earlier is taking so long to come to fruition. But I once, when and if I do gain enough Patreon support, uh, the first thing that I would use that um, block of money for would be for to pay for professional editing. And if you guys want to be a part of that, that would be greatly appreciated. So check that out. Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash spun today. You can also help support the podcast in a huge way by rating and reviewing it and telling your friends and family about it. If you guys enjoy the podcast at all, I would appreciate you guys uh, telling me so by rating it on iTunes or on Stitcher or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Uh, because you could listen to this podcast on Google Play, on Pocket Casts. You can listen to it on YouTube. I put all the episodes up on YouTube. iHeartRadio, TuneIn, etc., etc. Wherever you're listening, wherever you're listening to my voice right now, stop what you're doing. Stop listening. And just rate and review the podcast real quick. And then tweet it out. And then email it to everybody that's ever sent you an email ever in life. And, um, yeah. <laughs> that would be appreciated uh, what else check out my book make way for you which is tips for getting out of your own way that's my first book it's a non-fiction obviously just a, bu- a collection of tips and tricks and uh, kind of like advice that I gave myself to like push myself to like write and and uh, even start this podcast and I thought that you know if it helped me it might help somebody else that feels like they're stuck or in a rut or or uh, just could use a, um, some, a spark of motivation and a kick in the ass. So check that out. You can follow me on social media. And that is at Today on both Twitter and Instagram. And like the Facebook fan page at facebook.com forward slash Today. And that's it, folks. Thank you very much for checking out this episode of the Spun Today podcast. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz. And as always substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams thanks for listening